Can you guess how much time doctors learn about menopause in medical school? We're answering that question, plus many more on today's episode. So stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Dr. Michelle Gordon. I am so happy to have you here, a board-certified general surgeon and founder of the Menopause Movement. Welcome to Morphus. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, I'm excited to have you on too, because I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. And what I love about what you're doing and what we're doing here at Morphus is we are changing the conversation around menopause and we're having the conversation. And I know you feel strongly about that as well. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what got you into the whole perimenopause menopause movement. Right. So what happened for me and how, you know, the, the whole genesis of the menopause movement is that a few years ago, I started noticing some changes and it was really weird. I, I would just be laying on the couch and all of a sudden I would feel this flush coming up and feel like I was embarrassed. I was like, what is this? Uh, and, and I, you know, you may or may not know, but I'm married to a lady and she's an internist. And so I went to her and I said, why am I feeling like this? And she says, it's probably menopause. And I'm like, eh, I don't like this. <laughs> and, and so, and so then I, I was like, okay, uh, that's fine. Uh, I got, I got it. I'm feeling weird and, and fine. And then I'd be, I started like crying at commercials on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what, what is this? Okay. So, so, so I'm, I'm, you know, just sitting there reading on the couch and I'm feeling these flushes. Fine. I was crying at commercials and I start to recognize that my emotions are kind of weird. Fine. Then I gained like 50 pounds overnight and that was weird and I couldn't lose it. Okay, fine. But what really did it for me was when I wasn't able to recall simple and anatomical things that had to do with my business as a surgeon, my, my job as a surgeon. I was tr trying to remember names of, you know, arteries or mm. different things like that, or drugs that I frequently prescribed. And I was like, this isn't right. Something is wrong. I have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And so I, I made it my mission to start talking to people about menopause. And what happened was I have a lot of resources because I'm a doctor. So I started talking to my friends who are GYNs and my colleagues. And there was a lot of, a lot of dismissal, a lot of people saying things like, you just have to get through it, or you just have to tough it out, or it's just something that everyone has. And I was like, this doesn't make sense that if the, and the other thing was, is the, is, is the people saying it's a diagnosis that, that yeah, I've been diagnosed with menopause and I, and and I thought, well, I was never diagnosed with puberty. <laughs> well, exactly, right? <laughs> so, so it's it, it. What I started talking about, I started, I started really looking, and it took me three or four years. I, I did a bunch of research, and I discovered a way to. I started just, you know, I discovered all the science. Discovered a way to eat, a way to think, a way to move, and that de developed into our program we call the Minnow System. Yeah. And uh, it's so true that it's not a diagnosis. It's, it's literally a way of life for us. And why would it be considered a diagnosis or an illness when it's not? Right. And, and the problem is, is that doctors are taught that menopause is a diagnosis. And remember, doctors in America, especially and, and, and in many Western countries, are taught that menopause is this diagnosis that requires some sort of a pill. 
mm. a powder or a potion. And menopause, what I like to do is tell people that menopause is not a diagnosis, but it's the privilege of a long life. And when we can reframe it that way, because all of us are going to go through it if we live long enough. And when we can start to think of it that way, then here, here is this time that we get to maybe reflect or reinvent ourselves because our responsibilities have changed. Well said, Dr. G. I have a question and I'm very curious. How much time is actually spent in medical school learning about menopause? <laughs> I, I think that in when we did a, a bit on the female system, I think maybe it was half an hour. Oh and I mean, you know, what, what we do here in America, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but in America we do systems. And so different, different systems. So in reproductive system, we talked about it and we talk about male and female reproduction systems at the same time. And menopause is not really talked about. And I, as a general surgeon, I did rotate, you know, with, with some, gynecologist, but I don't recall ever talking about menopause. And when we did talk about menopause, it was all about hormone replacement and ways to treat. Now, it is true that menopause is, you know, symptom-based. We treat it in a, a symptom way. And so if you're a woman who is struggling with the symptoms of menopause, like hot flashes, and you get prescribed an antidepressant like a Prozac, know that the research shows that those do help hot flashes. So it isn't that they're trying to treat you as a hysterical woman, although that is also one of the problems and one of the things that we have to overcome to get heard as, as a woman who's, who's struggling with menopause. Yeah. Half an hour. Wow. That's, um, that's pretty crazy. And do you think that's something that's going to change eventually now that people like ourselves are talking about it and Gen Xers are not, we're not going into menopause lightly and we're kind of like, wait, we need to actually have a conversation and we need to ha not have this, this secrecy around it. Right. Because there's some, somewhat of an embarrassment, perhaps Dr. G, I didn't even have a conversation with my mother about menopause until I started even doing Morphous, which is so crazy to think about. Yeah. I, I don't know why, we don't talk about, it. I mean, my mom had a hysterectomy when I was in elementary school. And so my mom had a, you know, premature menopause and we never talked about that. And I don't really, my, my mom was kind of crazy anyway. So I don't know that uh, the, the, the disruption of menopause made a big difference with her in terms of changing the conversation. I do know that there has been a, uh, some, some legal stuff happening in, in the UK where they have to start talking about menopause now for us here in America and maybe in Canada, I don't, I don't know that anything is going to change when it comes to the medical, you know, we've got, we've got a medical industrial complex, right. And it's at least in America it's run by corporations. And so for us to start talking about natural treatments for menopause, takes away from the supplement industry and it takes away from the pharmaceutical industry. And so it's unlikely, I think, that in our lifetimes, we'll see a big change. Oh, however, I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. I mean, it would be great if it was integrated more. I mean, I mean, obviously, from what I understand too, I mean, I'm a nutritionist and I know that nutrition isn't taught as well. So, or not <laughs> a lot of it, right? So there's you know, no nutrition, nutrition. No. And, and when you, I mean, to, to talk about nutrition for a second, you know, Hippocrates, you know, way, way, way back. I mean, he said, let food be thy medicine. And for whatever reason, um, at least, you know, I can speak about Western medicine in America. We are in the business of it just disease maintenance. We're not in the business of healthcare. Mm. 
And when we start to look at the poisons that our government kind of pushes on us, you know, corn oil and vegetable oil and high fructose corn syrup and the things that they say are okay to put in our bodies. But yet when we do the research, we see that these things wreak havoc with our immune systems and inflammation. And we start to see that changing our diet is a choice that can lead to health. The problem is, is that, you know, we've got a food system, let's say, food exactly in that, yeah, <laughs> that that is addictive and when it's addictive i mean it's a lot easier to go and buy a five dollar you know happy meal yeah. than it is maybe to go and buy some broccoli and spinach and eggs and it's also a lot more convenient right so yeah. it takes a lot more time when you're starting to cook things from scratch which by the way convenience is important for many of us especially for raising kids and we're working you know two two jobs one job two jobs or we're at, mm-hmm. at home full time whatever it is i mean it's it's busy and it takes more time but i agree with you nutrition is the key and it's a cornerstone for really understanding our body and preventing it down the road sure. preventing issues down the road i mean we you know in in this era of covid it, most people are home uh, it, there, there's a lot more people at home and kids are home and it makes meal preps. I, I mean, I think, I think it's what I've seen is that there's at least during the summer, there was a big surge of people growing their own food, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that since about 2014. We have two garden beds. Oh, that's awesome. And so we, we do grow our own food and, and we, you, we support local farms and, and we, you know, but it took us, I, I would say, for me, when I discovered what worked for me and, and you know, what, it was, what has become the minnow system, it took me about five, six years to really shape my body and get my brain right. And what I've noticed is that for the women who come in through my program, it takes them months instead of years. And it's so exciting that we can actually kind of jump the line for them. It's refreshing, right? To show yeah. that it actually works. So tell me a little bit about minnow system. The minnow system is a, it's a one-year experience where women come in and we show them really the, the four pillars. We start with the four pillars of the program. So it's science, it's the minnow mate way of eating, the minnow mate way of moving, and then the minnow mate way of thinking. And then we support them throughout the, throughout the year with group coaching calls. And then we have a we, we give them recipes, we give them exercise challenges, and then a challenge in the, in the mindset every single month for, for a year. So it's a, it's a new way of being, and we support them for a whole year in that. And I love it because it sounds like it's body, mind, and spirit, which is very important, right? So it's not just about what we're putting in our body, but it's also about our thoughts. How are we thinking? What yeah. is our attitude, right? So does it incorporate all of that? It does. It does. And, and you know, we live our whole lives in our mind, right? Mm, exactly. And if we can't make our mind a happy place, if all we're thinking are negative thoughts, then how can we make any changes at all? I love that. I think that's great. So what are some of the changes that you've, that you've heard from the clients in your program that they've seen, whether it's, you know, mental clarity, whether it's weight loss, like what are some of those benefits and those that, that what people have come back to you with and be like, Oh my God, Dr. G you've changed my life. (laughs) This is what I've seen. Or this is what I'm seeing. I I mean, what's really funny is that the mental system is not a weight loss program, but 
one of the happy side effects is weight loss and it's not a happiness program, but one of the happy side effects is being more happy and fulfilled with your life. It, it's an understanding uh, in a holistic way of what's going on and then us being able to take control of our lives. And so I've heard from the women in the program that they say it saved their marriage. Three women were on the brink of suicide and chose not, you know, chose to stay with us. And, and they've all, they're all featured in the podcast, um, the, the menopause movement podcast. And there, there's the, the main, the main thing I see is an understanding of once, once we get an understanding of what's happening, the hormone side, then we can start to make the changes that we need to make to improve our lives. Can you share a little bit about what those changes are for those who are newer to it and maybe are just coming in now to say like, hey, you know, kind of like the way you were many mm -hmm. years ago. Wait, wait, I'm feeling that hot flash kind of creep up on me or, oh my gosh, my mood is brutal and I can't <laughs> stop yelling at everybody around me, which, hello, <laughs> yeah, happened many times over the last several years. So just a little bit of a background since you are a doctor that people can understand it. Yeah. So what happens in menopause is we start to lose hormones, particularly estrogen and progesterone. And as we start to lose those hormones, our body tries to hold on to them. And one of the ways our body will try to hold on to them is by increasing our belly fat because we can hold estrogen there. And when, so, so the, one of the biggest, the, the, actually the number one complaint I hear from women in menopause is, is more around, I can't shift the weight. I can't lose the weight. I've, I've gained so much weight. I haven't changed the way I'm eating and I haven't changed the way I'm exercising and it, I'm still eating a little bit, but I've got all this belly weight. And so that's the reason because your body is trying to hold on to estrogen, particularly at the end of the day, though, I don't believe in hormone balancing. I don't think that, that we need a pill powder or potion or, or a supplement to balance our hormones out because our body is beautifully and wonderfully made to be in homeostasis. And it is a disruption that we have to deal with, but there are ways to deal with it that, especially through our diet, that can make it a much smoother transition. And, you know, so what we hear from women, you know, number one is weight gain. Another one is um, mood, attitude, and emotions. I don't feel the same as I used to be. I feel like an alien's come come down and, and taking control of my body. I, I'm acting like a teenager. I don't understand why I'm snapping at everybody. And... It, what what I love to tell the women who you know come in through through our through our programs is it's not your fault. You know you are kind of at the mercy of your hormones, but that doesn't mean that you can't take control when you start to see what the stories are you're telling yourself around menopause. What are some of your favorite foods that support menopause? Well, I think I think the main thing is to get away from anything that's in a box. So the, I mean, and 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 the problem is is that we as people in the in the culture that want things instantaneously we were drawn to boxes i mean i remember i was born in the 60s i was born in the mid 60s and so i remember when tv dinners first started and it was it was so great to have that salisbury steak or you know whatever and at the end of the day those those foods are they're not made for us they're made for the corporations so I, I think they're pro-inflammatory. So we have to be really careful. But there's two things that just wreak havoc with our with our immune system and with our with and cause inflammation, and that's sugar and vegetable oil. And if you can cut those out of your life, you're gonna feel amazing. 
Yeah. It's not easy though, because behavior change takes time. And that's why our program is a year. Yeah. I mean, it definitely does. Listen, I've been a nutritionist now for like almost 15, 20 years, like a long time. Yeah. And uh, you're right. And, and people are resistant in the beginning. But it, what's interesting is that many people come around when they start not feeling so good, right? Yeah. So there's certain times through what we've learned over the years is there are certain times that people come into learning how to eat healthy or wanting to take charge of their health when, you know, they have a baby when yeah. perhaps something is wrong, or now we're learning menopause is a big time too, because of all the changes that are going on. And I, I absolutely agree with you and eating healthy, exercising. I mean, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on exercise and its role on menopause. Yeah. So exercise is the reason I exercise and the reason I started exercising and I, I didn't get back into exercise until uh, like 20, 2015, 2014. So what I want to say is that as I went through my surgical residency, I, my body, I didn't take care of my body at all. It was hard just to be a single parent. My son had cancer when he was a baby. And so he had some, you know, a lot of medical issues and I, I had to get through my surgical residency and I just stopped taking care of myself. I didn't go for walks. I didn't eat well. I smoked. These are all the things that I did as, as a surgical resident. And then I started my practice and after I had achieved this, this goal of my surgical residency, getting through my surgical residency, I started my practice and I was like, I'm supposed to be happy now. I'm not happy. <laughs> and, and it was really, it was really like a wake up call for me. And so what, what I did was I, as, as menopause happened, you know, five or six years into my practice, menopause started to happen to me and I started doing the research and I realized that if I'm going to not have brain fog, then the, the key ingredient is moving my body. And so I, the reason I started exercising wasn't to shape my body or lose weight. It was to save my brain because of a, something called neuroplasticity. And that's a big long word for the fact that our brains can, they're malleable. They can move, they can change. The, the neurons are not fixed. And the, the, one of the main things that keeps our neurons sharp and keeps us creating new pathways is exercise. And when I, when I realized that, I was like, well, okay, I want my brain to work. I don't want to end up like my mom who died of alcoholism or my dad who died of some, some brain you know, some cognitive problems. And so I want to, I want to keep my brain going. And so what I've noticed as I've aged is that my brain is all here, but my body won't do the same. I mean, I can do a lot more with my body now. I mean, I, I can run, you know, five or six or seven miles and that's great. And I do a lot more, but I have a little bit of, of pain. And so it, it's, it's really interesting to see how my body is aging a bit, but I'm still, I'm still able to get it to, to do some things that I never thought I could. That's amazing. I do a show called Brain Spanners with Bryce Wild, and it's a Facebook show. And uh -huh. we talk about keeping our brain healthy all the time. And we talk about neuroplasticity. And I love that you're saying how exercise helps and how it helps to do that. And I also love the fact that you were talking about vegetable oils and how certain oils are actually, they're very harmful to our oh. brain, right? So let's talk a little bit about how those vegetable oils negatively, or just like, let's say food in general that we're, that we're may, that we may be consuming. And some of us may be consuming even extra now because of the situation that many of us are in. How does that have a negative impact on our brain, especially well, in menopause? I think we have to start, start talking about sugar and there is a huge gut brain connection, right? We've got a lot of neurons in our gut and we've, what we've done is, is, we go back and, and look at how fat was demonized by this guy, Ansel Keys. And 
when we stopped eating fat, we had to do something. And so what happened was we started in, putting sugar into the food supply. And you can see that when you, you can look at how diabetes just straight up because of all the sugar, but the sugar industry suppressed all the data, kind of like the tobacco industry did. And so the, the cause of type two diabetes, not type one, but type two diabetes is sugar. And it's too much sugar because the pancreas never gets a rest. And so what happens is you end up with something called insulin resistance. And every time you eat sugar, the body, the, the pancreas will release insulin to lower your blood sugar. But when all you have is sugar in your system, you can become resistant to insulin. And then the body tries to do more and more. And then after a while, you have to put exogenous or, you know, needles or some sort of a, a sulfonuria or something into your body to, to lower your blood sugar. Right. So that's, that's the one thing. I mean, if, if I, I, I tell people, if you want to take care, take hold of your health and cut sugar out of your diet completely and see how well you feel and see how much you want to start moving your body and how much you, all you want to do is, is to start and the energy comes back and you don't even notice it. It's like, it's, it's, it's really crazy. But when it comes to vegetable oils, now vegetable oils are those oils that are manufactured like Crisco like grapeseed oil, like rapeseed oil, like canola oil, doesn't matter if it's expeller pressed and cold pressed, all that crap, right? These are bad oils because they're, they're manufactured in a, in a factory. And part of it is they, they go through a, a phase of being a plastic, a solid, and they hydrogenate the, the, the hydrogen. So there's their, they hydrogenate the bonds. And as they hydrogenate the bonds they they, they have to, they, they have to take it from a solid to a liquid. The thing about vegetable oil is it's a byproduct of other things like corn, like cotton. And they found that when, when these seeds became rancid, they could turn them into oils and they were odorless and tasteless and they're cheap. And so all, almost every restaurant industry, every, every restaurant when it fries, it uses a vegetable oil, except for like five guys fries their vegetable, their, their, potato, there's their French fries in peanut oil, which is kind of nice. But at the end of the day, vegetable oil becomes super unstable at high heat and it causes inflammation. And it not only affects, it not only affects just every system in our body, but it affects our genetics, the, the very super top part, epigenetics, and it can affect our protein expression. So that's, that's the bad news when it comes to vegetable oil. And it's hard to find, it's hard, unless you're making all your food, it's hard to stay away from it. I love that you bring up insulin resistance and blood sugar, and especially in menopause, what I find is that it's an underlying issue for so many different things is keeping that blood sugar regulated. And <laughs> by avoiding sugar is definitely one way to be able to keep that balanced. Talk a little bit about the foods that can help to support blood sugar regulation. Well, fat doesn't affect blood sugar. So if you're feeling hungry all the time, it's probably because you're going from sugar to sugar to sugar. And so if, if you're, what I like to tell women is to increase the good fats in your diet. So good fats are things like avocado, olive oil, coconut, coconut oil, things like that, even peanut butter. I, there's a there's a book by a woman by the name of uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan called Deep Nutrition, and she just came out with another book called Fat Burn Fix. 
And she teaches in this book that nature doesn't make bad fats. So even, you know, going to beef tallow and lard, these are natural oils that were in palm oil, for example, these mm -hmm. are all natural oils that, that don't cause inflammation, eggs, bacon. So, and, and I don't, I don't tell people to eat any sort of certain diet other than I don't really believe in veganism because veganism has a lot of, a lot of manufactured stuff, you know, that weird cheese and, you know, that's filled with vegetable oil. It's not good for you. So I, I don't tell, I mean, if you're a vegetarian because of animal rights and things like that, I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that, but we as a species, we, we kind of evolved eating meat. So I'll leave it at that, but, uh, but just know that nature doesn't make bad fats. And so if, if you're, if you're, if you're wanting to get off sugar or wanting to get off of these simple carbs that immediately turn into sugar in your diet, uh, in your body, I mean, then the thing to do is to maybe increase your natural fats like avocados. Yeah, that's a great answer. I did uh, genetic testing. So I'm happy that you touched upon genetic testing earlier. Mm -hmm. And for me, genetic testing is so important. So when I did my genetic testing, I found out that I can't digest fats very well and mm -hmm. high amounts. So something like a keto diet wouldn't be great for me. And I also can't digest starch very well. So I'm left with that paleo lifestyle, right? Eating is so much tied into what our genetics are and mm -hmm. also how we feel, right? right? So, you know, if you feel good and, and I agree with you, I mean, I do believe we're meant to be eating animal protein and I, and also it comes down to blood type. I mean, so I'm a B blood type. I do really well on meat, right? So certain blood types might, you know, for if you're an A or you're an AB, maybe you're better off vegetarian, you're an O, you're better off eating meat. There's so much at play, right? So it's not just like one thing or another. And I think the key is listening to ourselves and our bodies and how we feel. Well, I think when it comes to diet, when it comes to managing your menopause, there is no one size fits all answer. Yeah. And each one of us is unique. We all have our own unique DNA. And the main thing is to really try to become aware of how the foods that you're eating are making you feel. And that requires presence. That requires mindfulness. That requires us to really take a step back and say, you know, how do I feel when I'm going to eat that cookie or that potato chip? And how do I feel when I eat it? And how do I feel after I eat it? And these are, these are things that we're not taught. We're not taught how to eat. We're not taught how to think. We're not taught how to deal with our emotions. I mean, there's a lot of things that we're not taught. You know, we're taught in, in school in America and, and maybe in Canada, we're taught how to work in a factory, follow bells. So at this point in our lives, we have, we have such an opportunity to step back. You know, we, we, we may not have our children anymore in our, in our homes, our, our, our spouses, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us may have endings to relationships and beginnings to others. We, we may be able to, you know, have a rekindling of our love relationship at this time in our lives, but we've spent, because we're women and because we live in a patriarchy, we're expected almost to support our spouses and to make sure that, that our children are successful. And of course we want that because that's, you know, that's the nature of being a parent and, and making sure that the next generation is, is raised up. But now, you know, we've put our kids out They're they're at college or they're on their own and, and we have this time, it's our time. It's time for us to really take a step back and look and to think that we can't change or we can't, there's no hope or that I just have to deal with this misery this, you know, what we call minnow misery or keep our, keep our feet inside of this minnow muck. Uh, that's, 
that's a lie because we can change anything. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned mindfulness and it's so important. And especially this year when there was just so much stress going on and there's so much chaos going around us globally, right? How do we keep ourselves centered and taking walks in the forest? Like, so, you know, going in forest bathing or deep breathing, something that's worked so well for me this year is deep breathing and really just taking that breath. And I used to say, oh, deep breathing. I don't believe in it, but I I recently had a test done to check my HRV. So my heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. And when I went in, I was so in sympathetic mode and 10 minutes of deep breathing. And they came back, they remeasured me. And it like, I had went, I had gone from sympathetic to parasympathetic in like as little as 10 minutes. Like it was Mm -hmm. really cool. Deep breathing works. And it's so important. So I just set timers on my phone just to remember to breathe throughout the day because so many of us are breathing so shallow. So when we actually take that deep breath in and how it just helps to calm our body. So mindfulness is so important as well. And I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, I think I think it's really important. One one of the things that that if if you're a the woman who's in menopause and you're finding that you're short, that you're reacting a lot, then I mean there's there's two things I think that that can really help. And one is to look at whatever the story is that you're telling yourself around the event. And if it's true, if it's helpful, or if you can change it, those are those are really important things. But if you find that you're reacting, one of the best things that I that I like to teach is something called the pause that I learned from my mentor Sri Kumar Rao. And what he what he teaches is you just stop. You just stop and take 10 deep breaths. And when you do that, you can completely reset everything. And before I before I do almost anything, I I do a a pause. You know, I'll either do some sort of meditation or I'll just stop and take the breath and become centered and present to the moment. Mm, I like that pause. And, yeah. taking, and, and, is, and if you think about it, 10 deep breaths, that's not very much time to do that, right? You can no, it takes like one or two minutes. But it, the thing is, is that if, if you're somebody like for me, I used to be super reactive. I would, I would react before, before I spoke, you know, I mean, I'm, actually, that's not true. I would, I would, yeah, I would speak before I, I had a die. Yeah. It just comes out, right? Things just came out. <laughs> no filter. <laughs> right, exactly. And so I've been able to, I mean, it's, it's, I still have no filter for some situations, but, but I'm getting better and I'm getting better at just learning how to, how to calm down and, and be present before, before I make a rash decision, I guess. Yeah. And so many of us are in the same right. And you're human. So it's going yeah. to happen. There will be situations when you react better than others, you know, your reaction is better than others. Sure. Now, I, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that for many of us, when we do have that immediate reaction or our emotions are tied in and we're that quick to react situation is that our adrenals are at play. And in menopause, especially, we know that our adrenals, we need to nourish them because they take over for our ovaries in terms of making our hormones. So what are some ways that we can really nourish our adrenals? What are some of the ways that you love to support them at this time in our life? Yeah. So this is a great question. And I did a whole, I did a whole podcast with Dr. Uh, Shazard Green on this in the menopause movement podcast. It's probably not going to be, it's probably like in January that's going to be released. Uh, but we did because uh, there is a hard, it's hard to understand the difference between adrenal fatigue and menopause. And a lot of them are very similar. And adrenal fatigue has to do with cortisol production. And when your cortisol is not, is, is not even, it can cause you to wake up at night. And there's, there's just a lot of issues. 
So the first thing I would recommend is, and and I know this is going to come off as really weird, and it's something I do. I recommend that women or anybody actually tape their mouth shut at night so that you're breathing through your nose. And what that does, especially if you're getting up a lot at night to, to pee, that changes the way that vasopressin is manufactured and dealt with in the body when you're breathing through your nose while you're sleeping. And it's amazing that I, I mean, I'm getting so much better sleep. My HRV has gone up because I'm taping my mouth at sh- shut at night. And so that's, that's something that, that is, you know, it's indirectly affecting cortisol. Vasopressin and cortisol are not related, but it is still indirectly affecting cortisol because I'm actually sleeping through the night. The other thing that I recommend is just to take some supplements actually to support your adrenals and that's vitamin C and primarily because the adrenals use a lot of vitamin C and the, there, there, you can get adrenal supplementation. I, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's really necessary, but the main thing is to, when, when you get a good night's sleep, then your cortisol production is going to even out. And so really pay attention to your sleep hygiene. Sleep is so important. And when we don't get enough sleep, we actually, it affects our mood. It affects our blood sugar. So we're reaching for more sugary things throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And especially in menopause, like you said, many of us wake up throughout the night to go pee or we're not getting the same sleep because we're having night sweats. So it is one of those things that is so important that we get under control. And that's a great tip. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about today that you'd love to share with our viewers and our listeners on our podcast? Well, I think that it's it's really important. This is such a time, menopause is such a time of reflection that we have an opportunity to reinvent ourselves, to really relook at everything we believe. And I think it's really important to reflect and determine what we want the rest of our lives to look like. And we can actually shape that. And that's what that's what I teach. And that's that's what is happening as these women start to come into the program and start to realize that that they can make their life anything they want. I love it. And how could people yeah. find you on social media as well as your website address? Yeah. So social media, they can find me at Dr. Michelle Gordon uh, on Facebook. It's Dr. Michelle Gordon, Dr. Michelle Gordon, same thing with Instagram. And my website is drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, drmichellegordon.com. I love it. Thank you so much for being on our show today. You're absolutely brilliant, which is, you know, when I listen to you on your podcast, I'm like, she is so smart. <laughs> I love hearing Thank you, you so speak much. and you speak so, so amazing. And um, it's so informative and you've, I'm, I know this podcast and this interview will help so many women. So thank you so much. But thanks for, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That was amazing information from Dr. Michelle Gordon. If you learned something today, please give us a big thumbs up and please leave a comment or question below because we will answer all of your questions. And please share this video because the more you share shows you care. Thanks for watching everyone. We'll see you next time.